Brian, and thank you, everybody. It's wonderful. I love, love coming to this family, being with you all. King David had died, and the nation now looked to his son, Solomon, as he took his father's place. King David, uh, who the people had known and loved, he was a man who was mighty in character and mighty on the battlefield. King David was respected and loved, and he'd been a loyal leader for 40 years. In God's own words, King David was a man after his own heart. It wasn't a perfect heart. David was a sinner, like you and me. But it was not a divided heart. It was a devoted heart, committed to God. And now the nation was waiting in anticipation of their new King Solomon. It sounds very familiar, and I think this passage is incredibly timely for us as a nation. For we have lost and we mourn a godly, humble ruler, Queen Elizabeth, who walked in faithful obedience to her king, King Jesus. And she too had actually prayed before her coronation, a little bit like Solomon. She said, on the day of my coronation, pray that God would give me wisdom and strength to carry out the promises that I should then be making. That was her prayer. And it seemed that the lights of her faith grew clearer and brighter, while that of society around us grows dimmer. And this, I think, is a new era for us as a nation. And we need to be asking God that King Charles III will pray Solomon's prayer. Because we need a leader who is committed, fully devoted to God, dependent on God's wisdom and God's compassion. And so thus, it was a new era for Israel. And our reading picks up Solomon's story really very much at the start of his reign. And we're eavesdropping into the most remarkable conversation between God and the new king. Solomon is facing the enormity of his new job. How could he ever fill his father's shoes? Solomon, they think, was probably only about 20. And there were lots of other brothers in the family who could have been king. He's inexperienced and he's unsure. And he's very aware of it. And he's asking for divine help. Sadly, the few verses before our reading have warned us that there are some shadows in Solomon's heart. Uh, I don't know if you've got your Bible. Don't worry if you don't. But in chapter 3 at the beginning, verses 1 to 5, we're told that Solomon has already made an alliance with Egypt. Uh, we're told that he'd gone down and he had married Pharaoh's daughter for this political alliance, something that maybe looked very wise in the world's strategy, but something that God had warned Israel not to do. And he was choosing certain alliances and a certain form of worship that was actually outside of God's plan and something that God had actually warned Israel about 
through many of her leaders, particularly through Isaiah and Moses. Isaiah said this specifically in chapter 31 of Isaiah. Woe to those who go down to Egypt, who rely on horses and chariots, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. God had warned his people and Moses warned his people don't give your daughters in marriage and don't take the daughters of these nations. Not because it's wrong cross-culturally, but because it's wrong to worship other gods. Because, Moses says, that in following them, they will turn your hearts away from God. Beware your relationships and beware your worship. God had said worship was to be in Jerusalem, at the tabernacle until the temple was to be built, not on the high places. That was all very superstitious. Let's get high to be near the gods. And yet in the mix of all of this already in Solomon's heart and life, God is there, right there. And he meets Solomon and he gives him this outstanding offer. You can ask anything of me now that you're king. It sounds a bit like a dream, isn't it? Perhaps some of us would like God to say in our prayers, well, you can, what would you like? You can have anything. Solomon could make his own mark in history at this point. He could ask for fame, fortune, whatever he liked. Or he could walk in the ways of his father, the ways of God, and he could ask God for help to seek to do his job well with justice and with wisdom. And you know what? Solomon chooses the better. He chooses well, doesn't he? God's man on the throne is seeking God's help on the throne. Surely this is true wisdom. To seek to live in God's world, in God's way. That is, that is wisdom, isn't it? To live in God's world, in God's way. If ever there was a prayer for us to pray, it would be this. I am but a child. I need your help, to, Lord, to give me the wisdom to discern right from wrong and to accomplish all that you've designed for me to be doing. Solomon had asked with such humility, and do you know what? Humility is irresistible to God. Humility is the catalyst for wisdom. Micah chapter 6, he has told you, O man and O woman, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And it is tragic that already we see shadows of sin that are going to become great chasms in Solomon's heart. Because sin does that. It starts off very small as a shadow. But you know, if it's allowed to grow, it will break up hearts and promises and bring division. And sadly, Solomon's alliances and his many, many marriages are going to distract him and divide him from God. He was not totally committed to God's glory and to God's word. 
Are there things in my life? Are there things in your life that are distracting or dividing your devotion to God? Maybe you used to feel closer to him, but life has got in the way somehow. And maybe you're drifting. Friends, God is so gentle. And he meets us and he still speaks to us. And he will help us in those areas if we ask his discernment, his wisdom, his help. King Solomon, we're told just a few chapters on, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites. You know what Solomon had? 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And we're told in one kings that his wives led him astray as solomon grew old his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the lord his god as the heart of david <clears throat> his father had been solomon was going to wander away with many other loves and many other loyalties but god is merciful He knew what was going to happen. He knows what's going to happen in our lives. And he seeks to give us the abundance of his goodness and his wisdom. God seeks Solomon out and he speaks into his heart. And he answers his prayer. And I think that this whole idea of prayer, I've been mulling it over, and God has given me three very, very specific words this last two weeks, actually, particularly, that have spoken into my life and that speak through this passage, I believe. And they have corrected my view that so often we feel prayer is a bit like this. Cap in hand. But you know, there's so much more to prayer that God is showing us here as we pray and as we walk with God. And these three words are also going to point us to the rightful king, the King Jesus who has set the kingdom right and who actually invites you to take part in ruling it. He gives you that authority. Actually, a lot of what I'm saying we've already sung about and we had in that amazing um, song um, of the, for the Queen, a lot of it is in there, so I'm going to be repeating some of this. But my, my cap for prayer is a different cap. It's a K-A-P. It's God's kindness. It's God's abundance. And it's God's perspective. Let's see if we can get this to work. There we are. God's kindness, God's abundance, God's perspective. Cap spelt with a K. And we find this as we walk with Jesus, our King. God's kindness to Solomon. Kindness is a selfless, compassionate mercy. Kindness is the opposite to meanness. It's not based on merit. It's purely an outpouring of God's character into our small and sinful lives. And God is dealing with Solomon and he's dealing with me and he's dealing with you in loving kindness. Ask what you want, he says, and let me shower you with kindness. 
hands up if any of you have fallen, taken a fall. Uh, it's pretty much most of us, isn't it? I mean, actually, that pretty much is most of us. Well, I did a rather dramatic fall while we were on holiday last week. I've still got a bit of a bruise here. Um, I came crashing down on my hands and my knees, but mostly my chin. And I'd been foolishly walking along, looking at my phone. <laughs> and the uneven pavement just jumped out at me, and I just went sprawling, flying. But as I got up, very achy, very sore, and very, very jarred, I realized immediately it could have been a lot worse because the impact of my soft chin on that very unyielding tarmac could have cracked my jaw or my teeth. And I've been increasingly grateful to God for just a few bruises, for his kindness, because my stupidity was not met by his fairness. It was met by his kindness to me. How much loving kindness God pours into our lives in ways that we see it and ways that we don't see it. Not because of our merit. I was stupid. But because of his character and because of his great love. Listen to what Isaiah says. I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord. The praises of the Lord according to all the Lord has granted and his great goodness to the house of Israel which he granted according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his kindness. It wasn't according to Solomon or according to Israel or according to you and me. It's according to God. God has clearly spelled out to Israel how to live. He's clearly spelled out to us how to live. So let's beware of those things. These things that God shows us are for our good. They're not to inhibit our joy or our freedom, to, to help us to flourish. And you know what, friends? If you're tempted to think that the rules are no good, think again. Because God promises Solomon, walk in my ways. Continue on in this way, Solomon. And that's what he says to us. He will never put a burden on you that he hasn't done already that he won't help you do, and that he knows he's going to bring you good. God will tend to you in his loving kindness. Don't squander that. Abundance. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Abundance is something that's considerably more than you'd expect or anticipated. It's beyond measure. God is an abundant God. His mercy and his faithfulness are new every morning, not just every year. The creation sings out the abundance of God, doesn't it? The colors, the textures, the seasons. And he provides all things, he owns all things. Solomon asked, and God gave him his request. And did you notice? God gave him more and more. God had said to, to Moses earlier on in the history of the world, he had said to Moses, my love is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding. I'm abounding 
in love. Abounding is over and above, above what we can understand. God's truth had shone into Moses' heart. Moses had found God to be his abundance, his light, his salvation. Do you know God can be your light, your salvation for every single sin? That's abundance. Every single sin, past, present, and future. When we become children of God, his supernatural light will illuminate our path to guide us and to equip us. He will become our joy, our comfort, our guide, our light within, our light around. If we have taken by faith hold of God, then we have all the covenant blessings in our possession. We are all people blessed. Sometimes, you know, God has to move us on from where we are. Because if we stay where we are in our attitudes and in our prayers, we won't be moving with him. Sometimes he has to move us on. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But it's always in his abundancy for us, his provision for you. Keeping company with God because he is a God of abundance. So we've seen that in prayer, it's God's kindness. It's God's abundance. And my last word is perspective. What perspective have I got, have you got? Is my outlook very petty or do I have a godly outlook? How is my thinking? How is my praying? What are my hang-ups? What are my concerns? Are they centered on my own issues, my wants, my needs, my desires? Or have I got a broader perspective, the mind of Christ? Do you know what? Solomon here, he does, doesn't he? At the start of his reign, Solomon sees a bigger future, not just his petty desires. He sees the need for God's help to govern God's people. He sees that God alone holds the wisdom and the strength that he's going to need. He sees he needs to be close to God. And he needs to know God's view of the, mess, of the nation. He needs to know God's view of what is right and what is wrong. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray at the start and the end. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Spurgeon wrote about this, this great man Spurgeon. Let not your prayers be all concerning your own sins, your wants, your imperfections, your trials. But let them climb the starry ladder and get up to Christ himself. And then as you draw near to the blood-besprinkled mercy seat, offer this prayer continually. Lord, extend the kingdom of your dear son. Such a petition fervently presented will elevate the spirit of all of your devotions. Mind that you prove the sincerity of your prayer by laboring to promote the Lord's glory. Solomon was doing that. He got it. He got the right perspective. It had to be God's perspective, God's wisdom. And you know, perspective is gained according to the lens that you're looking through. 
And I was reading just this morning in my, in my quiet time in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit is given us to give us a right perspective. That's amazing, isn't it? God's Holy Spirit is given us so that we have the right perspective. And the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 says that God will help us as we wait. He helps us in our weakness and he helps us according to his will for our good. Isn't that amazing to have that? Kindness, abundance, perspective. The cap, the real cap of prayer. Jesus Christ embodies them all and he rules an internal kingdom. And he invites you to take your part. Because the perfect emblem of, of kindness, we need look no further than Jesus. God becoming as one of us, he's taking on our skin and bearing our sin in his perfect body. And he calls us to imitate him, Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, patient, forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgives you. Christ is kindness. Christ is the perfect definition of abundance. He, he's given abundance to us. And he calls us to look further. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, But as it is written, I hasn't seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for them, those that love him. We don't know the half of it of what's coming. The Queen's got an idea now, hasn't she? But we, we don't know half of it, but God is an abundant God. And as for a wise perspective, Jesus saw our need. Our state without him was hopeless. So he made a way for us to enter heaven because he entered earth. God sees his entire creation. God is unbounded by time and place. His perspective is complete. But he also sees you and he knows you. He knows your individual life. He knows your circumstances and your trials and your failings. And he longs to have a relationship with you that we might know him, be saved by his loving kindness through Jesus Christ on the cross and that we might flourish in his abundance. Abundance isn't about material things. It's about having a walk with Christ through the ups and the downs. Christ and us and we will go up and down a bit like the heartbeat you know our heartbeat goes like that doesn't it if you see those things on casualty that's abundance having God with us through the ups and the downs the pulse tracing our life do you know God still speaks today through prayer and his word and his spirit and we can't live this life in any real fullness without God and without a prayer life that gives us God's own heart, that keeps us connected to his kindness and his abundance and gives us his perspective. Without God's input, you know what, we're at the mercy of our own thinking. And our own best thinking should concern us. Psalm 25 says, show me your ways, Teach me your paths. That is wisdom. 
He may take us down new paths, but he knows best. You have a difficult road before you, traveller. See that you go not without your guide. You have to pass through the fiery furnace. Enter it not, unless, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you have the Son of God to be your companion. In every condition that you will need, you need Jesus. Keep close to your best friend, because he will refresh you, and he will cheer you. And so finally, Solomon set out to reign. He knew he needed God's help. And true wisdom is to pray that we live in God's world in God's way. And humility is the catalyst for that prayer. It's very interesting that after our passage, the next bit of chapter 3, we're straight into an incredible situation that Solomon is thrust into. It's a drama. Two prostitutes approach his throne. And God is seen to have already answered Solomon's prayer for wisdom. Because we're told at the end of chapter 3 that all of, nation, all of the nation Israel could see that Solomon reigned in the wisdom of God by the way he dealt with these two prostitutes. And I find it very interesting that that story shows us two prostitutes, two sinners, coming, having access to the throne. That's us. We have access to the throne. And one of those prostitutes, a mother, is prepared to give her son to the other. God is prepared to give his son to you. You have access, dear friends. He has loved you and shown his love through Jesus Christ. Access and perfect love. God has given us access through Jesus Christ. Now let us go from here fully loved, fully walking in God's loving kindness in his superabundance and in his wise perspective. Today, tomorrow, and for the rest of this year and our life. Amen. Amen.